Yo, 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 welcome to another round in the house. Super excited for today's conversation. Uh, I think uh, appropriately uh, called a rising star, John Durgan, um, just dropping fire work after work, the cursed among us, inside the devil's nest, sleeping in the fire. That's a non, uh, a nine, a nine story anthology. Welcome, young sir. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, don't do enough of these, these chats about the books, you know. So um, I was excited that you asked me to come on. I'm I'm equally excited, John. And um, you know, the audience doesn't know that we go back uh, a couple years. I'd say, um, you know, really, really branching into this into this authorship. And when I introduce you, uh, I'm, I didn't. I don't introduce you as a writer. I really um, you know, have to introduce you as an author and, and someone engaged in authorship, dropping, you know, multiple books that are are really, you know, elevating, you know, into you know, from indie into you know, a wider space. You know, people people are starting yeah. to hear hear your name. Um, so let's get into it, but you know, first off, tell us about yourself and how you got into authorship. So I, you know, I wanted to write my whole life. I, I knew that, um, although I'm not one of those people that has like a treasure chest full of like, you know, um, unfinished manuscripts or anything. Uh, I always wanted to. I never actually went for it. You know, my whole childhood through high school, college, uh, you know, I fell in love with horror. Um, but then, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, I don't even know if you know this actually from our previous chat, but uh, Yule, which is the first comic book that came out through Livid, um, I actually started writing that, uh, it was going to be a book uh, that I wanted to write like a children's horror series, you know, a family-friendly horror series, um, you know, after talking with my son, right at the start of the pandemic, that first year of the pandemic, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do this. I started writing Yule as a book, I got like 15, 20 pages written, and that's when um, Joel the other co-owner of Livid Comics reached out to me um, and asked if I had any ideas for a comic series. Uh, so I was like, actually, what I'm writing right now might make, make more sense as a comic than as a book. So that's where my writing career started was uh, when we formed Livid and I transitioned from trying to write a book into comic books and then, you know, move a few years forward and I still had that itch to write books. Like that, that was my passion. Um, and I saw um, an open call for an anthology. So I was like, I'll try to write a short story for this. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so it was a themed anthology about beach horror. Um, and I, I wrote this story about a kid on an all-inclusive vacation with his parents. And, you know, he's just sick of them always drinking. And he went for a walk on the beach and finds this cave and these cannibalistic you know, figures that live in the cave. Um, and it got, it, it didn't get accepted right away, so I thought they weren't going to take it. Uh, I ended up submitting it to another anthology, and then I find out it got accepted into both of the books. So I had to, like, scurry and, like, reach out to both of the, the publishers and be like, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't, uh, you know, expect it to get picked up by the other one. And they were both cool. So it's in two anthologies, um, my first story. That gave me the confidence, like, my first story got accepted into two books like that's that's wild so and then i 
that's what turned into the cursed among us. Um, so that's that's really where it all started, um, right in the pandemic. So, and and I re- I recall that uh, almost like it was it was yesterday, man. It was a very um, what do they call it? you know that that watershed time where people are really reflective. Um, I got into authorship around the same time. Um, after having an idea in my mind for Pharaoh versus Priest, and I was on you guys' show. If you remember that, like you know, I interviewed you guys uh, for Yule. Fantastic story uh, behind that book. Um, learned a lot about you know just just different um, mythology, and and it was really interesting. And then you know, you guys interviewed me for you know Pharaoh versus Priest, which I also. You know, published a comic but it started off as a novel first and and you know right around that same time just um, the ability to to sit down and express yourself in writing um you know kind of hit that bug for me around the same time so um i tend to go a little more historical fantasy but today in our conversation we're going to learn um how to write good horror from you so uh i want to set the tone by first you know, sharing with us, what was the f- scariest, like, movie or book, um, you know, play, you know, s- you know, m- not like real situation, but, you know, somebody who created that horror experience for you? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of people would think, you know, like, gore, monsters, you know, the, I actually just posted about this the other day because I found, um, there was a novelization of the movie um, and I had to get it, which was the poltergeist um, when I was a kid. That movie scared me more than anything. I did have nightmares from Freddy, don't get me wrong. I, I snuck in and watched Nightmare on Elm Street in like second grade and probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but poltergeist stuck with me, you know, to this day. Like I still think that movie and that didn't lean on gore and, and kills. It was, I think it was like rated PG. It doesn't matter. Like they just, some of the, the eeriness in that movie, some of the scenes still live in my head, you know, um, today. And, um, so that, that would be my answer for what scared me the most. Um, you know, when it comes to horror, um, you know, eighties PG is on a whole nother level though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've i watched some '80s PG, and I'm I'm hearing like colorful language, and you know, the, like their willingness to show the top half of of you know actresses, and 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 you know push that line, uh, uh, some stuff that wouldn't be you know acceptable today. I'm like, man, this, remember the '80s for sure. <laughs> My son's nine, and like, there's, you know, like, oh, uh, Ghostbusters is PG. Let's show him that. And we pop it on. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, well, too late now. Uh, now it's like a third movie. <laughs> um, yeah, so. But, you know, I, I remember those times, uh, you know, sneaking up, staying up, peeking up, you know, down the hall as, as you know, some of those movies are on. I, I feel like the scariest experience I've had was I, I was a little bit older. And me and um, my close family, you know, my cousin, um, our, you know, some of our close friends went to go see the Blair Witch Project. And we were yeah. s- totally wrapped up in like, oh, this is somebody's real story. Like the whole marketing, like completely like worked on us. So we're like, man, this we're going to, it was like real. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Blair Witch. For the Cursed Among Us, um, it does pay some, you know, tribute to Blair Witch because that same thing, you know, we we snuck into that movie and uh, I don't even remember exactly. I think we were sophomores. Um, You know, yeah, we we snuck into that um, and that movie terrified us. Yeah. Um, So. It's funny you mentioned that because it's in the book. You know, we talk. I talk about it. So, uh-huh. so yeah, like we. It, I think it was partly like our. We fell for like, okay, this is real. So if it's real, this could really happen to us. And then like we were kind of winning together, scared. So like we were kind of feeding off each other and like kind of this group fear. And then I'm telling you, like we stayed up until the sun came up that next <laughs> that next morning. Uh, it was so scary. Um, tell us a little bit about like uh, your foundation and how you take some of those experiences and then craft a good, you know, setting or you know, what you, how do you go about writing good horror from a real general standpoint? Yeah, well, first of all, so my first novel, The Cursed Among Us, pulls heavily from my childhood. I mean, that's why. I didn't realize this when I was writing it, but the 90s nostalgia aspect of it was a lot of people's favorite component of the book, you know, because it's just like a, a lot of the people that are reading are around the same age, so it just brought back all these memories for people. Um, you know, so there's a lot of references to music, movies, uh, clothes, you know, like Jenko jeans <laughs> and stuff like that um, in the book. But, um, yeah, I pull from a lot of real life, and that that's actually... Um, I did a lot of master class. Uh, I don't know if you have checked that out. There's a lot of great content on there. It's like a subscription service, but a lot of you know big name authors like have their own master class on there, which is like a almost like a YouTube course sort of thing, right? Like there's like chapters of their course uh, where they're teaching you, and a lot of them talked about how you know it's important to pull from your real life experiences when you're writing because it makes it authentic. So, you know, I knew when I was writing my first book, I wanted to to pull from that. Like the main cast of characters is based off my group of friends in high school, um, you know, to a T. Like I even named a couple of them the same names, <laughs> you know. Um, the description, the the stuff they said, like a lot of the stories from the banter in the book, like those were real conversations. Um, I the town that the book takes place in is my hometown growing up. I didn't even change the name. Um, you know, it's Newport, New Hampshire. Um, the, all the locations I used are mostly, you know, accurate in the book. I did shift a few things for plot purposes, but, um, so I had a lot to, to work with, you know, when I was starting that foundation of the story idea that I had in my head. Um, and, you know, I obviously that's a unique experience. That's I can't do that for all my books. I can't base it off my you know, my friends for everything I wrote. But um, to an extent, I I will always pull from from real life stuff. Um, you know, whether it's an, an argument I had with my wife and making the married couple in the book, you know, have that argument, um, or you know, struggles that you know, you go through, like, you just have to, that's what makes the characters real life, they're, you know, come, come through to people, and, and have them root for them, or hate them, or, you know, you gotta have real life problems mixed in, it can't just be, you know, a faceless character, if that makes sense, um, 
So if you know where where I start, like my foundation starts there. Um, I've met a lot of people. You know, there's that debate of do you create the characters first or the story, and then create the characters. Um, I always have a high level idea of the story itself, like the overall plot. I'm not a plotter per se. I don't plan it all out. I just have in my head kind of ideas of where I want it to go. Um, and then I just throw the characters right into it and develop them through the story. That's the classic Stephen King mode. He does that. Um, so I wanted to try that. And I actually I have a lot of fun doing that. But um, I'll write some like key characteristics down for the characters. Um, you know, like this kid has anxiety, like stuff like that. And then and when I'm writing a scene with them, I pull from, from those, you know, uh, bullet points uh, for the characteristics I wrote down there. So. Thanks for sharing that, man. I, I, I really uh, think somebody listening can, you know, kind of clarify their approach by listening to just how organic yours is. Because I think that's um, a hindrance for a lot of people that are trying to figure out the process. And the process is really just leaning in, leaning into your gifts and your, you know, the things you know. You can talk a lot about the things you know, like your life and um I love that approach to character building. I do the same thing. Um, the little nuances of the things happening around me make for great, um, what do they call it, business um, in writing, you know, where the characters have these, you know, real natural life-like ticks about them. Um, yeah. That's missing if you're just literally trying to create, um, you know, em embellish, you know, all of that. I think it can kind of fall flat and, like, reaching in many like that's not real so yeah I, I, I love that feedback um I am a little bit of a plotter but it's very um like inside out outside in kind of kind of all at once type of thing um I like to look at the the Carl Jung archetype wheel for you know getting into my my main character's minds and then figure out like where this character is as far as like the timeline on that on that wheel you know and then what's the events happening in that specific you know beginning to ending of that story and then I'll kind of like plot out the chapters and then go back into the character's mind and just walk through just you know just telling the story as I like it's literally my eyes just walking through the world and the scenes yeah. that I've built Exactly. Well, and that's, uh, you know, when I say I don't plot, I don't want people to think I, you know, just go in completely blind, right? Like I, but it is funny because I'll always start and then like, if you look at like the notepad on my, on my cell phone, like once I'm into the story, I, I have like, you know, what needs to come next in the book, like what I, you know, want to not necessarily scene by scene, but like, Hey, we, I, I need to show more of this from this character or, explain this or it's going to be a plot hole um you know and so i do some of that um and i always have a pretty good idea of where i want things to end um you know like for the cursed among us i knew the climax that final act was going to be in my head i i told myself i don't know if you watched game of thrones but mm -hmm. i was like i want this to be red wedding-esque you know mm -hmm. like i just want it to be insane you know blood you know, it just everything comes together. Um, you know, there's characters dying. There's just chaos. It's it's wild. 
case. I knew, you know, roughly what was going to happen, who was going to survive, and it was just a matter of getting it to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, obviously you tweak stuff, but uh, I like to kind of have an idea of where the story's going. Um, because the last thing I want is to to not have an idea of the ending, and then all of a sudden, I'm writing. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, I have, know, a, uh, I have a question for you. How, do you give yourself a time window? Do you structure, you know, the amount of time you're going to devote to, you know, like getting the project from chapter one to chapter two, and and so on and so forth? How do you how do you work through that mechanical logistical part of writing? to really give your, um, you know, to give you some input that, that is useful in the editing process? What, how do you go about that? So I do three drafts before I turn it into my editor. Um, I'm not an editor. I will never be an editor. <laughs> there's stuff that, you know, I just, I didn't go to school for writing or anything. So there's just some general rules that I break plenty that my editor, you know, slaps my hand electronically <laughs> to fix, but uh, so I'll do the first draft, and I, I got this advice from a guest on our podcast, um, Alan Baxter, he's a horror author out of Australia. When I asked him to give advice to new writers, he said, just write the damn story, like that first draft, finish it, Type, get to the point where you type the end, don't worry about plot holes, um, to an extent, obviously you can do some tweaking as you go, but don't get caught up in that. Finish that first draft. You can't fix what's not on paper, is what he said. And there's nothing more true than that, right? So I get that first draft done. Second draft, I go through and I try to, you know, I'll, I'll write, um, again, in my notepad on my phone, I'll write, hey, we need to fix this timeline-wise or um, go into a, more, a bit more detail on this part of the plot, um, you know, flesh out this character a bit more in draft two. So, like, as I'm going through draft two, I'm trying to, like, glue the pieces, essentially. And then draft three is where I really just do a fine 
tune tightening is to the best of my ability from a grammar perspective, from just a reread to make sure it flows the best I think it can before I pass it off to the editor. Um, and then they essentially go through the fourth edit and, and pass it back to me and I got to go through and um, accept their um, corrections or deny them, which I don't think I've ever denied one from my editor. <laughs> um, you know, but that's that's the gist. And then I send it out to ARC readers. Um, I don't really do beta readers, um, which I don't think like the difference is a beta reader. You're you're basically giving them after the first draft, so they can just tell you the story is is entertaining enough, right? Um, I do beta readers a lot. I I kind of live off of beta readers. I really appreciate um, the the feedback and like real time reactions I get to somebody like literally watching me write the story. It's yeah. kind of motivating and a little like because they're like like dude when you get you know my auntie rest her soul um, was one of my biggest fans like as a beta reader for Pharaoh versus Priest. And and her calls to be like 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 I'm caught up like are you when are you gonna work on that next chapter was really like inspiring and motivating for me so I I, I do tend to have either it's my partners um, my artists um, or you know close close trusted like you know um, you know people um, that I like to like to beta read but but I really um, I don't think people are really may not be versed in what an arc reader is or you know can you break that down and tell me what you get out of that yeah sure another thing i'd point out about beta readers i i think i might leverage them for the novel i'm writing now um it's not that i wouldn't want to although there's some there's still passing something off it's like you know as rough draft as rough draft can be <laughs> um but I got to get over that phase of it, but um, as far as ARC readers, that's advanced reader copies. Um, that's what ARC stands for, advanced reader copies. So, uh, really, what that should be is as close to the final um, edit as possible. I mean, there's still some things that'll be be tweaked afterwards, but you're not necessarily looking as much for plot holes or grammar issues or anything like that. Although some of them will point stuff out if they find it, but it's really more to get those early reviews in, which I know we wanted to talk about how I market or network or, or anything like that. So I can dive into that when you're ready. But ARC readers are crucial for me because they put out those advanced reviews on Goodreads and you know social media groups uh, that, that we're part of, you know, a lot of horror group communities. Um, that's what builds the buzz for me, and I don't think enough people do that. Um, you know, if you if you go into day one on release and you have you know 30, 40 reviews already up, uh, granted you have to have a good book. I mean, if the reviews are crap, it's not going to help you that much. But um, you know, if if you're going into launch day with a bunch of solid reviews, that's going to get people looking at it sooner. You know, it's still going to grow its audience, but you're coming out of the gate with some momentum. Um, and that I will never not do that. It's even with my second book, which was through a publisher, I begged them to send me the final manuscript so I could reach out to our readers because you know, that I told them, I'm like, that's what launched the cursed among us is the early buzz. Um, and I, I want to do that for every book I write. 
and they were cool about it. So awesome. Um, Curse Among Us was, you know, I, I think you had mentioned it, um, or or it might be just you know from some of our previous conversations, and you know, I I follow I followed your rise, but the Curse Among Us was like, you know, a, a very big success for you, especially as like one of your first, you know, major major novels out. Um, but can you take us through? Uh, I want to spend the next window really, you know, taking us through your titles and what they're about. You know, if you can give us kind of a broad, a broad scope for what we could expect um, if somebody's listening and you know, kind of wants to read one of you know one or all of these. Um, can you tell us about them? You know, all, all all of these titles that you have out now. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try to be as spoiler free as possible. Uh, I tend to give a lot of stuff away when I'm. When we used to interview guests about their books, I, I would be so afraid to like say too much on our shows. But um, but the curse of money. I'll first start by saying my biggest inspiration on the curse among us was it. I read it by Stephen King in eighth grade, and it changed my life as far as you know. That made me want to write horror. Um, so I always knew that. I, with my first book, I wanted to kind of pay homage to, to it. Um, so it's about a group of kids in the 90s. Um, again, that's when I went to high school, so I was pulling from that. Um, and it wasn't an accident, just to, to make that point clear. You see all this 80s nostalgia stuff out there, and in my head, I'm like, well, it's time to bring that. The 90s are nostalgic at this point. You know, we're, we're talking. Uh, you know, 30 years ago now, uh, almost. So, when this book took place, so about a group of kids in the 90s um, who uh, are filming a horror movie in the woods. Um, you know, they're they're making their own little horror movie. Um, they stumble upon this grave out in the woods, um, and unsure of what it is, um, but the main character Howie he thinks it might be tied to the serial killer that stalked the town 20 years before um, because um, you know the whole setup the prologue it's about the serial killer in the 70s um, you know that kills all these victims and buries them in the woods around the town so these woods are supposed to be off limits for the kids um, they're not supposed to go out there the town is you know basically said that section of the woods we don't want anyone out there it's not safe um, and obviously rules are meant to be broken, especially by teenagers, right? So they're filming this horror movie out there when they uncover this grave, and they unintentionally release this evil entity onto the town. Um, so the, the villain of the book is is a witch that was buried alive, um, and she was possessed by a demon. So uh, it's kind of a crazy witch-demon hybrid basically um but they release her and she wants to seek revenge on the town you know for burying her 20 years ago uh, so it, it's uh, you know the way the best way i can explain it is it's uh, a slasher um a cult horror you know mashup uh with 90s nostalgia um it would be the best way to explain it and a lot of the reviews compared to like an R-rated Stranger Things, um, which now that I wrote it, I, I do see that, um, but that was definitely not my inspiration when writing it. Um, but obviously, Stranger Things pulls from it, so yeah. it's got to be compared to it, right? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, anyone that likes Stranger Things, it, stuff, you know, 
along that line, that coming of age, um, kids versus evil, you know, town secrets sort of thing. Um, you know, that's really where that first book goes. Um, and you want me to dive right, jump oh, into the yeah, book? Oh, yeah, man, yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, take us into into Inside the Devil's Nest. So Inside the Devil's Nest, um, actually, it's in the same universe as The Cursed Among Us, but it's not related to the book at all. I have that, that Stephen King love of how he has this connected universe, even if the stories never come together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this New Hampshire area that, that I grew up in, there's these surrounding towns, a lot of my books will take place in the same area. Um, so Inside the Devil's Nest um, is about a high-end real estate agent who, they live in New York City, and um, he gets tied up with, you know, a local crime family, um, you know, his powerful crime crime lord, his mob boss, um, where basically... Um, Against his will, he comes to an agreement with this mob boss where he has to let them use some of his vacant locations in the city for like uh, underground card games or you know late night escorts stuff like that. So and he gets a cut out of it. Well, you know he ends up accidentally walking into them murdering someone um, and finds his family on the run um, because you know he wasn't supposed to see that. So. I really wanted to mash together real life thriller with, you know, supernatural occult horror um, because I just love just taking two different completely things and just making them come together. Um, so, you know, this, he gets his family on the run. The problem is that the mob boss learns of their agreement and goes to all of his locations. So, except he has this old abandoned campground that he bought up in New Hampshire that he's never been able to sell so he quoted down from his website so this you know the mob guy doesn't his name's Vincent Vincent doesn't know about this campground so you know in in his head the main character thinks all right we're gonna hide out at the campground until we can figure out what to do we can't go to the cops because he's got a lot of cops working for him the mob boss so they go to this campground to hide out. What he doesn't know is the reason he hasn't been able to sell this campground, um, the reason it's abandoned is because of its history. Um, the name of the campground is Bird's Nest, but the locals call it the Devil's Nest because it actually, after the campground shut down, um, was bought by a cult leader. Um, so it was essentially turned into a cult compound. Mm. Um, and the prologue, and I won't give too much away, but the prologue you know, is, is the cult. Um, I mean, you mm-hmm. see that in the first few sentences, so I'm not giving anything away there, but it's essentially, you know, their big sacrifice. Um, and you know, like, and then it goes right into Anthony, the main character, um, witnessing this murder. So you're like, how the heck are these two things tied together? Like, we just went through some cult ritual, and now we're in New York City with this guy watching someone get murdered. <laughs> like, what? So it all comes together, though, full circle. I had this whole climax planned out in my head where you know, obviously eventually the mob is going to find out where he's hiding out. But in the meanwhile, there's a lot of weird stuff happening to him and his family at the campground. Um, you know, they say, don't go near the pond. The pond is essentially what the, the cult worshipped um, and what was in the pond. Um, so um, it, I pulled a lot from The Shining on that. Um, and my sales 
my sales pitch. My short pitch to the publisher was, it's Poseidon meets Ozark. Um, <laughs> you know, it, nice. and it really is. I, I, I don't know if people had heard me say that or, or not, but a lot of the reviews actually said that. So it makes me smile every time I see it. Uh, they say it feels like the Ozark, you know, and the Shining combined. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's exactly what I was going for. Um, so, so that's a novel number two. Um, and then, yeah. you know, my short story collection is just a mix of uh, different types of horror. It was really where I wanted to play around with, you know, stuff. Um, I tend to lean on fast-paced action horror um, as I'm writing my books. It's just where my brain goes. Um, so I wanted to explore different areas. I have a story in there that really has no blood. It's really a, about a ghost, um, you know. I have... I wanted to write something in the Wild West. Um, you know, I had this idea for a comic series, actually, which I still may write at some point, of, like, uh, Lord of the Flies, uh, but in the Wild West. You know, so these kids basically are on their own out in the wilderness in the Wild West and, you know, trying to escape from this this evil entity. Um, so um, that's actually the first story in the book. It's called The Bandit's Son. Um, mm. I, and then um, I have a story about a, a couple getting stranded at the top of a Ferris wheel while chaos breaks out below. Um, that's all I'll say, but it's, uh, you know, they're on the Ferris wheel. This, you know, guy plans to propose to his fiance. It was where their first date was on this Ferris wheel. And right after he proposes, you know, stuff goes down below and they're stuck up there. Um, and then there's a shark attack story, um, which is real life horror. There's no supernatural. There's not. It's just a straight up thriller horror story about. It's called Thalassophobia, and it's about uh, this this guy that's scared of deep water, um, who gets convinced on his destination wedding to go out uh, snorkeling um, deep in the ocean, um, and he panics and gets back on the boat. But meanwhile, there's a shark attack that breaks out, and he's essentially the one that's supposed to try to save his wife from the water and he's afraid of water um so uh, those are just a few of the stories in the short story collection and then there's actually um a gremlins inspired uh creature story um because gremlins was one of my favorite movies growing up but i wanted it to be a bit scarier more r-rated than, than gremlins was um there's a story that actually is a tie-in prequel story to Inside the Devil's Nest, one of the side characters. It's, it's his background story. Um, so there's nine stories in, in all in there. Um, and uh, yep. I could just real quickly, just to tell you, I, I told you off air a little bit about Sleeping in the Fire, the short story collection. It was not supposed to happen, but uh, I watched the release. It's supposed to come out in June. Um, I accidentally launched the book on Amazon's single direct publishing the other day, um, and because of that, I was like, well, I might as well share this link with my author page followers. It launched, it's a number one new release right now. It's number one in anthologies. It's number one in horror anthologies. Um, it's number one in American horror uh, new release as well. Um, so blew my mind. Um, an accident, it turned into a number one new release. So. Man, congratulations! Um, you know, all of those just sound like real rich content, and I know they are, man. I've, I've been been following your rise um, closely, and was super excited to get you on. 
um, you bring you you brought up a lot of uh, witch demon probably you know best thing I've heard all day <laughs> witch demon from uh you know the cursed among us um, that does sound like a really cool mash you know mash up you know um, for for inside the devil's nest I I love a good mash up man um, when I was pitching Pharaoh versus priest it's like it's a mixture of Stargate meets Homer's Odyssey. Uh, you know, and and the the um, you know the, the the person, the representative, like was really um, you know taken aback and like oh like very interested in that. So authors, you know, really crafting a good mix of of threads um, to give you know a project this really unique feel is is an important thing. It's it right? Like they, everyone says, everything's already been done before, but we'll. Yes, to an extent, right? But A, you got to make it your own voice, and B, if you can take uh, that, that was one of the first things I did when I wanted to write. Was I actually I thought of all my favorite movies and books, you know, and stuff that would be completely unrelated, and I tried to come up with like combinations of how I could make a story, take elements from those, you know, things that worked in each of those, and make it its own thing, um, which is really part of where Cursed Among Us came from. It's part of where when I thought of. The Shining is one of my favorite all-time books and movies. Um, I love the Ozark, and I I just love the idea of just slamming two together. Um, you know, so uh, it's uh, that's something I would always recommend to people is think of it bigger like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. To try to you know flip it and look at it from different angles. You know, I, I did a masterclass with Neil Gaiman as as the instructor. And he talked about that how every story could be flipped and told in a different way. So, I, I really, really thinking. I, 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 um, I love that mention of The Shining. I, I really, you know, Stanley Kubrick was, was a big influence on my. I feel like I write almost like a director does. Mm-hmm. So, um, he, he's a huge influence on just the way he tells stories. And you, you know, if, if you know me, you know, the person behind the book. I think you'd probably see some threads now that I mentioned that, you know, in the actual stories. Yeah. Um, but I, that, that, that is, that is awesome. And then, yeah, the, the anthology uh, just sounds like a great mix. But I want to get into that a little bit. Suspense versus, you know, psychological horror versus what they call it now, jump scare. Uh, I, I remember Scream was like, we were out of our seat. Going to watch, going to watch Scream. Um, I remember, I remember being kind of spooked out by Gremlins when I was little. Actually, <laughs> like even though, even though it's kind of kind of funny, I, I had to stop my daughter from saying Candyman a third time because she was playing around with her little sister. I'm like, you better not say Candyman that third time in my <laughs> in my house. Uh, what are some of the scariest characters? Give me your top three scariest villains. Well, so. Uh, definitely inspired by Stephen King a ton, um, and you'll see that bleed through my pages uh, when I write. But so Jack Torrance and Pennywise are, you know, obviously completely different. You know, Jack Torrance is a real life, you know, villain. Pennywise is this supernatural unknown, um, you know, clown. It <laughs> lives in the sewers and whatever. Um, and then I would say, kind of like Pennywise would be Freddy Krueger. Um, you know, I mentioned. Um, that movie scared me as a kid. Um, just the thought of someone being able, you know, this monster being able to get into your dreams and, and control you. Um, and 
really make you live in his universe um, and you're stuck. Um, you know, but so those would be the three Jack Torrance or the Shining, Pennywise, and Freddy Krueger. Awesome, awesome. Um, tell us a little bit. Um, you know, I, I really want you to give you a, sh a chance to, to talk about some of the back end stuff that we were mentioning. And I know we touched a little bit on it before. Um, just as far as like, and, and we were talking about this offline, just the work that it takes as an indie publisher to get your name out there, keep your name out there engage with the audience you know are you working an email list and you know i think people i know people believe you just write the book and you put it out there and people come buy it like it's this uh, field of dreams type type feel you could you know build it and it will come um but have you found that to be true in any any stretch of the imagination or is it just nothing but grind and grit so so to me the the grind though doesn't feel like grind that much because I actually enjoy, which I understand a lot of people don't. So, you know, that's why a lot of people won't even self-publish because they don't want to do that work. They just want to write and hand it off to a publisher. But one thing that I would say, unfortunately, that I'd want to say to a lot of aspiring writers out there is even if you get a publisher, you still got to put that in. You, you know, most of the indie publishers don't have the time or the, the budget to just solely focus on promoting your book. They're, they have other books to put out, you know, they don't have a marketing budget or anything like that, these smaller indie publishers. So you still, even if you pick, get a publisher, if you land one, you still gotta put that time in on your end, um, which uh, thankfully for me, I've, I've enjoyed that part of it. Um, so I knew um, a lot of advice I got, you know, right out of the gate was, if you're gonna self-publish, make sure you pay for a good cover and pay for a good editor um, because you don't want it to feel self-published. You want it to feel like it's, it's just one of, you know, another book out there. Um, obviously you want to stand out from other books, but the point is you don't want it to stand out for the wrong reasons, right? You want it to look like it belongs. Uh, so I took that to heart. You know, I researched cover artists. I, I took recommendations um, and, Landed on a guy I ended up using. His name's Matt Seth Barnes. I've actually used him for three covers now already. Um, all three of my main covers are done by him. I, I just love his work. Um, and same with editing. You know, make sure you get a good editor. So that's like on the the you know on the side of your marketing, right? You want to market a, a good product, but the networking is just as big. Um, you know, you join. You know, obviously I'm writing horror, so I'm joining. Uh, I'm in a lot of horror group uh, groups on Facebook, or uh, follow a lot of horror authors and uh, publishers on Twitter. And you know, it's a different prong attack, obviously, right? Like Twitter to me is more networking with other like-minded, you know, authors, publishers. Um, Facebook is more for you know building that base that. Know, I actually created an author page and I have almost a thousand followers on there. My short story collection that I just put out on accident <laughs> um, reached number one because of them, just because of my author page uh, followers, because I, I was afraid to, to share it wide knowing it wasn't supposed to release yet. So I just shared it on there as like early access to my faithful followers that I've built up uh, over the last year plus. And, you know, so... I would say 
make an author page. That's key. Um, obviously, a website's beneficial if you can have one. If you can can figure out how to either do it yourself or or pay someone to do it. Um, but just seriously, networking, getting early readers. Um, but it all starts with a cover for me because I don't know if I would have gotten all those early readers to commit to reading it if they didn't just stop on the post because of the cover standing out. You know what I mean? Like they were scrolling through, saw the cover, saw I was looking for, for arc readers and, and jumped on it. Um, so the whole phrase, you know, judge a book by its cover. I mean, it's true. People do it. Um, it's, it's human nature. Um, obviously you got to put in the work to make them once they open the cover, keep going. Um, but it starts with the cover. So, um, I kind of went all over the place, <laughs> but um, no, they what they, they call that free game, John. You're giving out a lot of free game right now, man. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um. Um. I, I'm actually going to be on a panel at AuthorCon at the end of this month um, for success in self-publishing. So I'm I'm excited. This is kind of practice for me to talk about, you know, some of the stuff I'm going to want to bring up. So. Great. Great. Um, how can people get to these books? How can people um, find you and support you? So uh, Amazon has all the books. Uh, the, the Cursed Among Us is actually in a lot of bookstores. You can get that pretty much anywhere online. Um, you know, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, Books A Million. Um, you can get that anywhere. Um, I also offer signed author copies uh, to sell directly for myself. I'm not going to on that stock because I, I sold out and I'm trying to just save the rest for author card at the end of the month. Um, but you can follow me. My author page is John Durgan, author on Facebook. Um, you know, I'm always welcoming more followers there because, again, I can't stress enough how important that page is. If you think about, if you're just posting on your personal page, that gets buried in the algorithm, right? If, if you post on your author page, your followers are going to see that on their timeline. It's going to pop up. So it just guaranteed more people seeing it. Um, so follow me at, you know, John Durgan author on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter at, um, um, I should know this off the top of my head at this point, right? But uh, my Twitter handle is at, at jdurgan1084. Um, my Instagram is um, Durgan's Pencil Drawings. Um, that's an old name I use for my Etsy shop for my drawing stuff, but that's that's my author um, Instagram as well. Um, and then I have a website. It's johndurganauthor.com. So I'm looking to get that built out more as I go here. But awesome. Um, I'll be watching. I'll be I'll be I'll be following up and following. Um, keep up the great work. And and I really appreciate you coming in and sharing, um, sharing all all the wisdom experience um, that you've accumulated in in, in a really short time. Um, so it's just the beginning, I believe, for you, man. So audience out there, definitely follow John Durgan. He's got the Cursed Among Us, Inside the Devil's Nest, that you know brand new hot anthology he was just talking about, Sleeping in the Fire. Um, you know, check him out. Um, we'll love to have you back, man. Um, so again, we just appreciate you. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is awesome. 
And uh, we'll see you guys for another round of In the House. Take care.